Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Welcome back. I'm John Eldridge and Craig McConnell again as we just unpack some of our core assumptions of what we think uh, life is about, what we think God's about, um, kind of searching for um, the truth that will set us free that Jesus promised. And in order to do that, rather than taking sort of a dry, philosophical, academic approach to worldview, rather what we're trying to do is take a far more kind of head and heart um, search for God, if your life, Jesus, if you said the truth will set us free, show us, show us. Because to hold the wrong assumptions, to hold the wrong core assumptions about people will just trash your relationships. To hold the wrong core assumptions about God mm-hmm. oh, will just break your heart. Mm-hmm. And on and on it goes to hold the wrong assumptions about justice or mercy or why government bears the sword or, you know, on and on we could go. You know, this isn't just a a curious exercise. Your life depends on this. The way you interpret the world is based on these core assumptions that you hold. And you're constantly interpreting the world. Yeah. You're interpreting relationships. You're interpreting your marriage, your kids' behavior, your friendships. You're, you're interpreting why you aren't married mm-hmm. or can't seem to find love. Mm-hmm. You're interpreting why God does or doesn't seem to be answering your prayers right now. I mean, all of that. We are mm-hmm. constantly interpreting life. We just want to help you get the right interpretive tools in there. Yeah, yeah. John, I think all our all our behaviors, everything is driven by these assumptions that often we don't even pause to think about. And you raised something in our last podcast, just the the place or emotions have maybe in helping us identify. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, um, what pisses us off? What makes us angry? You know, it's kind of an idiot light. There's some flares being shot off that something very deeply important to us is being challenged or questioned or withheld. Oh, when you rage, when you rage – it's because something or someone has gotten between you and what you think life is about. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, oh my goodness. Um, last time I was describing Elie Wiesel's book, Night, in which he describes his experience as a young teenage boy when the Nazis begin to um, incarcerate the Jews and, and begin the – what they felt as, quote, the final solution of the massacre of the Jewish nation. And he was describing how, you know, reports were coming back into his little village. Um, it actually, the town was in Transylvania. It was a real country back then. Um, and they just refused to believe it. They refused to believe it. I mean, even up to the moment of getting on the trains, they just refused to believe that such evil could happen in the world. And there is a stubborn commitment in us to life. And I want to say it's good Mm -hmm. and it's bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, Craig, you have just come through a battle with cancer. Mm -hmm. How important was a stubborn commitment to life? 
in the chemo lounge with um, other people facing it, it seemed like um, in the nurses and the doctors all tell you that there's that's the difference between most survivors is a will to live. And so there's a good place for this. Yes. I mean, friends, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is here's the dilemma. We were created for Eden. Mm-hmm. We were created for pleasure. We were created for paradise. And of course you want to minimize the hassles in your world. Of course you want to maximize your pleasure. You're made for that. It's just we're mistaken now about our timing hmm. because we don't live in Eden anymore. You live in a very, very different environment. And what can be a noble and necessary and beautiful commitment to life can also become a very naive, self-destructive, and and frankly destructive of others' commitment to life now. And, And that's one of your core assumptions just about life is, you know, how much do you think is possible now and how much do you really actually truly believe is going to come to you soon? Mm-hmm. upon the hour of your death. Because, you know, what Elie Wiesel was fighting in his incredulity, just why won't they believe the stories? Why won't they face reality? What is this commitment? Well, apart from Christ, there is this stubborn naivete in humanity, don't you think? Oh, yes, yes. And the inability to grasp reality when it's staring us in the face. Where's that come from? What is that? Yeah. Right. I'm thinking of, um, you know, kind of the transition in the U.S. um, around World War II when after Pearl Harbor, oh, man, we were in as a country. And, you know, people were doing the Mm -hmm. rubber drives and the paper drives and turning their lights off at night and conserving electricity and, you know, buying war bonds. As a country, we rallied to fight the battle. And that lasted a couple of years. Yeah. And I mean, before the war was anywhere near finished, as soon as a little bit of economic prosperity was injected back into the economy because of the war and the industrial explosion you know, that was going on in the U.S., people just immediately turned back to the pleasure. Just wrap this up, please. You know, we, we forgot our boys are over there dying in ditches, fighting for our freedom, and we just so quickly shift back to pleasure. That's what I'm talking about. That, you know, yes, we were made for Eden, but now, ooh, there's something else. There's this stubborn naivete. There's this stubborn refusal to face the reality of the world in which you live and demand Demand heaven now, mm-hmm. really, is what it comes down to. Demanding that whether it's my spouse and how much they weigh or how kind they are to me, whether it's my kids and the career path they've chosen or how committed they are to Christ, you know, whether it's my work or, or my friendships, there's this underlying insistence, anger, demand that the legitimate pleasure I'm made for comes now. Mm-hmm. You know, beep. Dang it. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I mean, there's this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. John, as you're, as you're talking, I'm just thinking of, of Romans 1 and God makes himself known in his glory and so much is known. And, and yet man refuses to acknowledge him, to turn to him. And it feels like 
greater than our commitment to pleasure is this commitment to just do it apart from him. It's like there's just there's just a, I'll go after everything but don't bring up God. I refuse. I refuse. I reject is part of the equation to my happiness, my life, my joy. Yeah, because he's the elephant in the room. He is. He's the great disruption. I'm remembering suddenly the Chronicles of Narnia story, Prince Caspian, where, you know, the first part of the story, Jill finds herself on Aslan's mountain and she's mm-hmm. desperately thirsty mm-hmm. and she can hear a stream and, and it's just driving her crazy. She is mad with thirst. But she won't approach the stream because the lion's there, mm-hmm. right? And remember Aslan says to her, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Mm-hmm. And she says, would you go away, please, <laughs> so that I can drink? Mm-hmm. I think that's people's approach to God. I think we see God as an impediment. It's some sort of major obstacle mm-hmm. to our pursuit of life. And I'm thinking of family members. I'm thinking of friends, neighbors that we've tried to share Christ with. And on one level, you want to go, why isn't the world running to Jesus? Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? His, his kindness, his goodness, his wisdom, his counsel for you, his healing of your soul as well as your body, his, his invitation to ease your conscience and free you of your demons. And are you kidding? Yeah. Why isn't the world running to Jesus? Yes. And, you know, I think something we're hitting on here, John, going back to how worldview can be reduced to simply assumptions, observations, though they may be right, biblical, true, um, what you're hitting on here is some of our assumptions are deeper than just ideas. This is profoundly spiritual, mm. what we're hitting on mm. here now. Mm. It's deeper than an assumption that life can be found without God. That right. sounds sterile yep, and it's true. <laughs> but what you're describing is something far deeper than an idea. Yeah, it's a commitment. Yeah, it, it, it feels like a delusion that has power deeper than our brokenness. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. It does. And I'm – okay. I'm going to confess a couple of things to try and illustrate this. Um, Here's one. Um, I realized in this last year the leadership of Ransomed Heart has gone through an extraordinary amount of suffering. Um, Certainly, Craig, with your leukemia, um, Mm -hmm. but primarily the chemo is Mm -hmm. what was so absolutely horrific. and some of the spiritual warfare that's come against mm-hmm. us, other forms of physical suffering, relational suffering, different things. It's, it's been mm-hmm. costly, 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 costly. And what that exposed in me was this. I realized that what I want is I want a successful ministry and a happy life. I want to be able to make a major impact for the kingdom of God and then go fishing. And I just thought, am I that naive? Mm-hmm. I'm the Jews in, wow. in Elie Wiesel's community. I, I am them. Like the naivete of that is so staggering to me when Jesus says, you are badly mistaken about what this is going to cost you. Mm-hmm. That's not what life is about right mm-hmm. now. Yes. But it just it surfaced it. You know, I'm exposed. 
Wow. Craig, contrast the way Jesus looks at this life. John, a a huge one to me is um, our assumption that there is no story, that there is no larger story, there's no author, that my life is unconnected and random Mm. and and there's no connecting of the dots that are my day-to-day events and feelings and circumstances. I think we operate with an assumption there's there's no story yeah. in this life. Right. And I think that um, one of Christ's assumptions and what he presents is, no, actually, there is a story. He looks dead. He will rise. There's a story, redemption and victory mm-hmm. and hope mm-hmm. and deliverance and this world that looks mysterious and dark and random. Actually, there's an author and a perfecter mm. Mm. and that can help us interpret and oh my see goodness. the story. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just that. Listen, we don't believe that. Mm-hmm. We don't believe that. Right now in the world, we believe life is random mm-hmm. and therefore get what you can. I feel the visceral reaction to, no, there's a story. Life makes sense. There's an author. I mean, that's the way Christ looks at it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, thanks to postmodernism, the collapse of the modern era, thanks to the collapse of reason and rationalism, thanks to the collapse of, you know, the enlightenment epistemology and all that stuff, we think life's random. It sure feels random. Mm-hmm. And therefore, get what you can. Get your peace, you know, with an anger and an energy and a drive behind that that is sometimes just absolutely vicious between people. I mean, the day after Thanksgiving sales? Like, what's with that? You know, people dying over a waffle maker? (laughs) That's it. That's the sickness of, no, we don't believe there's a story. Life's random, you know. And I think another example of that is Jesus's cavalier attitude toward death. Hmm. Hmm. Frankly, he looks unbelievably insensitive towards death. He just doesn't look at it like his community did, you know, and they're wailing and they're mourning and Jesus is mad, you know, be quiet, get out of the room, you know, and then little girl arrives, you know, Jesus tells his disciples before his death, rejoice, rejoice. I'm going back to the father. Are you happy for me? Mm -hmm. You know, not only does he tell them not to grieve, but he says, rejoice with me upon my death. Well, we don't think that. We don't think that. And we're mad. We're mad and all the other things that go with it. But it's because we don't think there's a story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things um, that just really irks me is the setting is to have a really good conversation with somebody. And I say, so what's going on in your life? And there is there's no story. There's no sense of of anything. I mean, I'm talking about an awful lot of Christians mm. that just mm. they they can't speak of struggle and victory of of God revealing, delivering. It's um, and I live there as well. It's small stories and other stories, but um, I'm just struck with the lack of story. Mm. And let me tell you something. If you don't live in a story, again, you have no interpretive grid then. 
you know, we're talking about the core assumptions that help you interpret life, interpret these events. If you don't have an interpretive grid, you don't know what to do with these things. And you become an idol factory. I mean, you just create idols left and right. There's a James McClendon who called life a tournament of narratives now. It's just everybody's just tossing stories out there. Mm-hmm. You know, be a part of the justice story mm-hmm. and be a part of the the global warming story. You know, be a part of the Nike story. Be a part of the fitness story, How, you know, the running culture, the bicycling culture. You know, come be a part of some story because there is no story. So let's – you know, they're all kind of equal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I confess. I confess. I was watching the Manchester United, Manchester City – soccer game last night and, and the announcer said 650 million people worldwide were watching it 650 million people glued into the man you game yeah right why because we long for a story we yeah. long for it we want something to be transcendent we want something to bring our lives meaning something to feel epic yeah. right yeah John, and even as a Christian now who believes in a story, one of the shortcomings of the story I understand God is writing, I see this so often in other Christians, is we know that the end of the story is heaven, but there's not a lot of details about heaven. It's like um, the story that God has for us is so rich and extends into eternity. But one of the things I love about Journey of Desire and Epic is you're talking about heaven. And this is a story that doesn't end at death. It's a story that continues. And there's substance. There's adventure. There's beauty. Yes. I mean, there's color. There's yes. texture. Yes. There's scents and smells. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, how about just, just Christ's assumption that life makes sense? Life hmm. makes sense. Death makes sense. It's okay, gang. You're going to be okay. You know? Gang, we're entering the last uh, portion of this podcast, and we're going to continue on with the series on how Jesus looked at life and the world and people and God and the issues like gender and stuff like that. But we can't just leave you hanging here. I mean, if life is not about minimizing my problems and maximizing my pleasure right now, most of us still are pretty committed to, then what is it about? What is Jesus inviting us to participate in as, okay, gang, this is what life's about? Mm-hmm. Um, John, I think your book, Waking the Dead, just, just nailed that. I think the glory of God is man fully alive. And I think what life is, is for us to to experience the life and the freedom and the rescue of God to be who he designed us to be. It's, I mean, in the simplest way I can think of it is um, a communion with Christ in which I just am free to be fully Craig McConnell. Yes. Yes. So part of it would be an invitation to find your life in God. Mm-hmm. That's really step one of mm-hmm. Jesus's worldview. Find your life in God. Mm-hmm. You know, the restoration, the things that I do have for you, they only come out of intimacy with me. I would also say, join me. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus, the way he looks at life right now is life is a brutal battle between good and evil. The world is being torn to shreds by it. 
the kingdom of heaven is mm-hmm. invading the kingdom of this world ruled by the evil one. And Jesus says, join me. You know, it's it's like the difference between, you know, halfway through World War II, the American public just wanted to get back to the nightclubs and, and, and the you know, the big band sounds and, and prosperity and to get the new car and buy the house and just ignore the war. And it was such a naive view, you know, back to pleasure. Jesus is saying, oh, friends, the war isn't over yet. Mm-hmm. The war is not over yet. Don't try and, and cash in on your retirement here, you know. Um, great good is coming. But meantime, I think the invitation of Jesus, his way of looking at life is join me. Join me in the invasion of the kingdom of heaven, which is going to require that you let go of your insistence of pleasure first. And it's something that literally we have to let go of again and again and again every Mm -hmm. day. Several times a day, multiple times a day. Mm. You know, we let go of that stubborn, demanding naivete. It's a chosen naivete. We just simply turn a blind eye Mm. to evil, to the battle. We turn a blind eye to that and we try and maximize our pleasure. And Jesus is saying, look, turn to me for life and join me in my invasion of this world. Uh, Because if the glory of God is man fully alive, you know, there's a lot of people to be rescued yet. Yes. And there's a battle for those people. And let's be honest, this is going to terribly inconvenience you. <laughs> I think that's what take up your cross and die daily is, you know, there's just another way of saying that of, um, look, this is going to terribly inconvenience you. To the degree that you're still committed to, re- you know, recreating Eden now um, in your happy family or in your travel or in your business or in, you know, whatever it is, your health, your income, your weight – uh, Jesus says, um, I'm going to inconvenience you. Um, join me. Join me in this epic battle. That's what life's about right now. And the longing that you have in your heart for Eden, oh, oh, that's coming. That's coming. Mm-hmm. Just not yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I, I hope you're kind of in the same place I am after this podcast, which is um, kind of just stunned by um, the assumptions I live by and often the difference between what directs my life and what I see directing Christ and Him calling me to. There's so much more we have to say and we hope you continue with us in this series on the assumptions we make and the assumption Christ lives by. If you'd like more of what we have to offer, come to RansomHeart.com. We have a treasure just full of things to just help you in knowing God in a deep, profound way.